I don't know where they came from. Quite frankly, I don't even know what they're made of. I don't think that Ty could do it without a concussion. <laughs> Is there nothing that the man can't do? Ready for the first day of classes. I don't remember being interested in that. That's weird. Beyond words, beyond belief. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Interviews and insight from this week in Cougar Sports. Every Saturday, only on BYU Radio. To lead off, here's the double coverage interview of the week. Our next guest is ESPN college football analyst, former Alabama quarterback. He's a national champion. His name is Greg McElroy. He'll be on the call uh, tomorrow for BYU in Tennessee. And he now joins us on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Greg, great to have you with us. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Is your play-by-play partner Dave Pash recovered from basketball with Bill Walton by the time he gets to you in the fall with football? Yeah, I mean, the good news is uh, ESPN does not own the rights to March Madness. So he gets a nice, lengthy recovery beyond <laughs> middle of March all the way through. But if they did own March Madison, he had to work with them all the way through the beginning of April. Yeah, that would be a, that would be a tall order for him to be able to overcome. And I can't think of two different people than you and Bill, so that's probably good for, uh, for Dave. Uh, this is an intriguing matchup, Greg, between two teams very desperate uh, to get a win and avoid 0-2 for the first time since 88 for Tennessee and 95 for BYU. Obviously, the big upset last week with Georgia State beating Tennessee and then BYU disappointed in its performance against a very good Utah team. What do you think of this matchup? Well, I like the matchup. Uh, I mean, obviously, we had selfishly, as as announcers, hoped that it would be a battle of 1-0, and O's, you know, but it, it's not always that way. Um, when we got the assignment, we were excited about it, though, because I think, obviously, when you have two national brands like you have in BYU and Tennessee, it's going to command quite the audience. And, uh, and obviously, this being uh, – never having played each other – but there's clearly been an interest for Tennessee to have followed BYU and vice versa over the years, just knowing both programs at times have been at the top of the college football world. So we're, we're excited about it. I think it's the contrast in styles. Uh, you have a Tennessee team that likes to run. that's pretty, pretty athletic. And you have a BYU team that's extremely powerful. So uh, it should be an interesting watch and, and, a, and a fun one to be a part of tomorrow night. Speaking of an interesting watch, I'm very interested in both of these quarterbacks. You look at both, both are looking to prove something after last week, both involved uh, with turnovers that they would love to have back. What do, you, what do you make of each team's quarterback in Garantano and Zach Wilson? Well, if you look at their performances last week, they almost mirrored each other. There was a couple really good plays and a couple really horrendous plays. You know, it's kind of – and you would expect that from Zach Wilson. I mean – he did as a freshman last year was pretty remarkable. No one's going to be able to, uh, no one's going to be able to shoot much, much, many holes in that logic. I thought was, he clearly is an athletic guy, uh, can run around, is accurate with the football, and has a good arm. Um, but the decision making last week was alarming. And look, you have to give a little credit to to Utah's defense. And that's a really good group, maybe one of the best groups that Zach Wilson will see all year. But you just can't, under any circumstance, give freebies away to a team that's that good on the defensive side of the football, knowing that your defense really up until the second half of that football game had played really pretty strong. Uh, I know you gave a bunch of yards on the ground, but, I mean, you look at BYU's numbers against the pass last week, I mean, Huntley couldn't get anything going. So uh, it was less, less than an admirable performance from what we would come to expect in Zach Wilson's second year. And then as far as Garantano, um, 
I just had a hard time understanding what he was seeing on a few different plays. I mean, bad pick at the end of half ends up getting overturned. Uh, also had some other plays throughout the course of the game that were just not there, and he tried to make them there. Uh, he made a couple adjustments, too, at the line of scrimmage that I, I'm not sure what he was looking at. So I think both these quarterbacks have some talent, just looking for a big bounce back. But uh, I would say the Garantano's challenge, it might be actually a little bit more significant than that of what Zach Wilson's going to face. Because I think BYU's defense is outstanding, uh, really at all three levels. I think, I think those guys do a great job and make life really difficult on quarterbacks. So it would be a good opportunity for these guys to bounce back. And as a former quarterback, I never want to see quarterbacks play poorly. So I'm hoping they both are able to do so tomorrow night. Absolutely. BYU in Tennessee tomorrow night, 7 Eastern on ESPN, talking with Greg McElroy, who will be on the call there. Uh, this is an interesting one in that BYU is going to the SEC. This is BYU's only Power 5 road game this year. What's it like to play in Knoxville against Tennessee in that stadium, Greg? Uh, well, it's awesome. It's a massive stadium. And Tennessee, the people associated with Tennessee, they're very passionate about their football, no doubt. But I think we're all curious as to what the atmosphere and the environment is going to be tomorrow night. I mean, last week was really a black eye for the Tennessee program, losing as a 25-point favorite. It's pretty insane. Uh, almost, I mean, you never see anything quite like that. Um, so I think a lot of Tennessee fans are a little bit pessimistic about the direction of the program, which makes you wonder just how many people are going to be in attendance tomorrow. Uh, they seem to feel pretty confident they're going to have 80, 85,000, but in a stadium that seats 110, it, it won't be overwhelming. So we'll see. I mean, I, I think we're all fascinated to see what the atmosphere is going to be. It won't be anything that BYU's uh, overwhelmed by, I can tell you that much. I mean, they've played on the road in hostile environments a bunch. So I can't envision this being a scenario in which the home field plays a huge advantage. If anything, if it's a little dull, uh, it might actually work in BYU's favor, just knowing that BYU's a very tough team, very physical team that doesn't need motivation to go out and play really, really well, whereas when you're the home team and it's a sterile environment, it can work against you a little bit, knowing that you're trying to get your fans into it and they're just not really participating. So it'll be interesting to watch that dynamic early and to see just how many volunteer fans pack the stadium. You mentioned the BYU defense a minute ago and how you were impressed with what they did, especially you know through defensively through the air. Um, both teams, though, gave up 30 points last week. The biggest question for me in terms of Tennessee is their defense, especially on their line. They rotated so many guys in and out of that game. It looked like there was a lot of confusion. What do you make of this defense of the Volunteers? Well, they have athleticism. The problem is they're just not they're not great up front. And, I mean, you guys know this. In modern-day college football, if you're not great along the defensive line, you're going to struggle. And I think that's a big reason why people are really optimistic about, you know, what Utah, a good example, what Utah might be this year. Some people think they can make the playoff because their defensive line is elite. So I think Tennessee's defensive line, the issue, they lost one of their best players early in camp. Three days in, he goes down out for the season. They do get Aubrey Solomon in, who transferred, got a waiver from Michigan, and is able to play immediately. And he played well, but it was his first game. And there's just not really that bell cow along the defensive front. 
that you can hang their hat on. Tennessee's a very young team uh, and a relatively unsound team as evidenced by the tape last week, which is problematic. I mean, in critical down and distance, they have to be poised enough to get the call in from the sideline and execute at a high level, which they didn't do at any point last week. So um, I, think they, I think they have good talent at the second level, especially with the freshman Henry Toto from California. He's a legit player, uh, potential franchise middle linebacker here in the years to come. He's a true freshman. Daniel Batuli, who is also an inside linebacker, we're not sure if he's going to be available. He's an all-SEC caliber player as well. And I like their secondary quite a bit. Alante Taylor at corner is one of the best in the business, uh, who's only a sophomore, by the way, a really good player. And then they have another freshman on the other side of Warren Burrell, who's, who's a really good player in his own right. So I like their back seven. I just don't love what I saw from their front four, and I'm not sure that that's going to get better here in the short term, knowing some of the teams they play here in the first month of the season. And let's wrap with this, Greg. There is a player from your high school on BYU's roster, South Lake Carroll. Do you know who it is? I know that we had the Jacobson family, uh, Tanner Jacobson and McKay Jacobson, who are some South Lake Carroll Dragons. Uh, I don't think Tanner's still there. Uh, he, he graduated <laughs> last year, but it is BYU, so who knows, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I didn't know. Well, McKay Jacobson was my go-to slot receiver. Yes. Uh, and in high school, he had, like, our senior year, he had, like, 20 touchdowns. It went for, no exaggeration, about 2,000 yards. And we torched everybody. <laughs> because McKay, McKay was so good out of the slot. But, uh, but no, I don't know who's there. I'm it, looking at the roster right now. I'm it, trying to find it. It's the kicker, Jake Oldroyd. South Lake Carroll, baby. Really? Yeah. Oh, I love it. Okay, well, I guess I'm, I'm almost 13 or 14 years removed from high school. I got to get back in the dragon way of life. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, there. There have been a bunch of dragons that have gone up to Provo in years past. I got recruited by BYU, believe it or not. Oh, uh, Bronco Menon, yeah, Bronco Menonhall, uh, McKay, and I. We went up to BYU camp before our senior year, and BYU was recruiting me. And I, I thought Provo was awesome, so I, I really, uh, I really enjoyed our time up there. And McKay had a ranch right down the street, and we had a blast for the whole week up there, just throwing around and, and having a good time. But. uh but, yeah, very familiar. They're, they try to create a little South Lake to, to BYU pipeline, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, uh, hold on. I'm just sucking up a little tear back into my eye, Greg, uh, <laughs> after that story. <laughs> what could have been? What could have been. <laughs> Greg, great stuff. Have a great call tomorrow. We appreciate uh, a couple of minutes. Uh, appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. That's Greg McElroy, who could have been a BYU quarterback on the Deseret First Credit <laughs> Union hotline. Deseret First, you know what? What? That's what a, a gr- great story. Oh, man. What a great story. He came story. to a BYU camp with McKay? I can't Hanging out it. on a ranch, just that's, throwing the football? That's awesome. Greg's a, a great guy, yeah. by the way. Great dude, extremely smart, uh, has a master's degree, played in the NFL, national champ. It's like uh, you and I. It's the same accolades you and I have. the same resume as we have. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> that was one of our favorite interviews this week. You're listening to the best of BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. It has been stated on a few occasions on BYU TV that 71% of this earth is covered by water and the other 29% is covered by All-American libero Mary Lake. She just does not let anything drop. 
That said, BYU women's volleyball starting two and one and understandably a fan favorite is Mary Lake from the first moment she stepped onto the court at the Smithfield House in her freshman year. Now into her final season as a Cougar, she reflects on her career to this point at BYU, working with the senior national team for the United States of America, and what kind of a legacy she wants to leave. Let's go Between the Lines. BYU Sports Nation presents Between the Lines. This is the story of my life. Chapter one, my childhood. I grew up in Palm Springs, California. I'm the youngest of six, and I grew up in a volleyball family. My high school coach says that when he coached my sister, you could just hear during silent parts of the game a little thudding in the backcourt, and that was just me passing a ball the whole time. Chapter two, my high school years. I went to high school at Palm Springs High School. I started playing varsity when I was a freshman and was probably scared out of my mind. My junior year, we won our CIF, which is kind of like state for California, and it was a dream come true. I thought I could have died in that moment and been happy. The start of my senior year, two days into practice, I tore my ACL. So I spent my last season on the sidelines doing as much as I could for the girls. The craziest thing I ever did in high school was, I don't want to admit this, me and my friend snuck into Coachella. It wasn't sneaking in, it was just kind of going and my parents knew what was happening. I'm not saying to do it, I'm not saying to go to Coachella, but that's the craziest thing I've done. And then I graduated high school early that December and came up to BYU. Chapter three, my college years. The thing that got me to come here was not just the volleyball program because that's great too, but I knew that if volleyball ever went away, I would still love being on campus and being at the school. People don't realize that, that you don't just pick the school for the sport, you pick the school for the school. And it's made me love my experience here at BYU. Chapter four, Team USA. I didn't really know that I, if I wanted to go to play with USA this summer because it's a big commitment and it wasn't just all glitz and glam like a lot of people probably thought it was. So I was talking to the head coach, Karch Cry. The last day I had to decide, I called him and I said, yeah, I'm gonna go do this and I'm excited and I had time to think about it so I was actually fully committed. I get to USA and I'm kind of all alone and I don't know any of the girls. I started training and honestly, the first week I thought I should be done with volleyball for the rest of my life. But it was hard. Everyone around me was top level, top notch, and I was just, I didn't know anyone, didn't really have any friends. And then I found out that I was making the team that went to play with VNL, and I was like, that wasn't part of the agreement. I didn't think I was gonna be making any teams, and so it was about 54 days on the road with volleyball, and I became so close with the girls. And that's probably the thing that I take away from USA is that no matter how you're doing, if you make connections and relationships with the people around you, it helps the team because the team plays better and it helps you able to get in every day and be excited about practice. I really felt like I had a role in USA and that role maybe was a lot different than my role at BYU, but they appreciated me for that role and they appreciated my strengths and the things I brought. That's an experience not a lot of people get and it's really humbling being able to be on the court and supporting your team who qualifies for the Olympics. I probably don't appreciate it as much as I will realize I should, if that makes sense. When my time as BYU Cougar comes to an end, I'm getting emotional. (laughs) 
I don't really have any expectations for this team this year. I just want to leave a culture that's sound and that's solid. And that means being a leader who doesn't complain, who comes in every day excited to get better, doesn't put themselves above the younger girls, who takes her academics, ward activities, everything seriously. People won't really remember the volleyball all that much, but they'll remember how I treated them, and that's probably what I hope to leave as a BYU Cougar. That's so sad. Mary Lake. Always classy and has a fantastic personality and sense of humor. Let me tell you, she is one of the best. If there is a role model for young women to look up to, <laughs> Mary Lake is is probably as good as you're going to get. She is fantastic. The craziest thing she's ever done is sneak into Coachella. She, I love it. We didn't really sneak but in. It we wasn't just really a full on sneak in. <laughs> You're, 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 an angelic, you're an angelic She's person. Great. Angelic. And a really, really good volleyball player. Can't wait to watch her with Team USA. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Joining us now in Studio B, BYU men's basketball assistant coach Chris Burgess. How you guys doing? We're great. Not as good as you guys, though. Uh, you went to Italy. How was Italy? It was amazing. Um, we're, I was telling some people, we're, we're really spoiled and we're really fortunate to be able to do um, something like that as a team. But it, it was it was amazing. Amazing country, amazing history. Uh, we got to see so many different sites that it's once in a lifetime. And then we got to play some games and win some games, right? And so overall, fantastic trip. What was your favorite part of the trip? I know that's a tough question. Um, probably the day we went to Capri Island. We were in um, Naples, and then we took a boat out to Capri, and we went to, like, the Blue Grotto, which was really cool. And then we went around to the other side of kind of the island, and we all jumped out. There's probably some pictures online where all of them were in the water. So we're just kind of hanging out in the water and, and jumping off the boat. Um as safe as we could be, but it, it was fantastic. <laughs> like that part, there's so many, there's so many, like I could talk about everything, Coliseum and Rome and all these things, but probably the Capri Island and the boat trip was the everyone's favorite. That's amazing. And it's so fun to be able to not only go to these places on BYU's dime, uh, <laughs> but, but also to take the team with you. Yeah. And, and you did this in, in, did you have an international trip in college? I did, my senior Did you have year. two or just one? Just one, my senior Because you had a chance year. at two, right? Since you um, transferred? I transferred. I, mi- I missed it, though. But okay. I, I got one. The one at one. Utah or Duke? Utah. Where'd you guys go? We went to Italy, um, France, Spain, and then I think like Monaco. Whoa, was it so, like one day wow. in each yeah, country? Yeah, we were like one day in each country. We were taking trains, we were taking buses, wow. we were all over the place. That's awesome. Um, and, and, no, and no Coach Majeras on the trip too, which was a bonus. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't he go? Um, he wasn't, I don't think he was cleared to travel yet. Probably a heart condition. But oh, okay. It was something where he wasn't con- uh, cleared to travel Hel- at the time. Okay, gotcha. It was a health issue. Gotcha. Um, and you get it, like you said, you get to play some games. Yeah. So, um, how, how did you manage, hey, enjoy this, Yeah, you, we want team camaraderie. And generally a team that takes this foreign trip is a closer team yes, going into that season, 100%. right? Yet you want to play well in the games. Yeah, so we met about it as a staff like a month before the trip how we were going to manage these games because we're sightseeing and the guys are on their on their feet. And all of us as a staff, we played and we remember these trips. And remember, it takes it out of you when you're walking, you're listening to tour guy, you're doing all these things, and then you got to play a game and you want to win. So we did. We brought 17 players and we did two different groups um, that played the first and third game and the, and the second and fourth game. And that way everybody got to play. And um, we, we and 
everyone got to play, everyone got to contribute, and we won all four. But somehow we found we scheduled perfectly where we were able to go four and zero. So put it all over the scheduling that that got us. Okay, win. but it was it was it was really it was some good teams and some teams we just I mean we slaughtered. Chris Burgess, BYU men's basketball assistant coach on BYU Sports Nation. What did you learn about your team specifically in those four games? Um, we got some guys who can pick up the ball. Um, we got some guy like Connor, Connor Harding, the way he picked up full court and turned his guy like that to me was something we haven't coached in the last four years. And we're excited about, um, Yoli changing kind of the perspective and narrative of what people in the scouts are saying about him, that he, he's, he runs like a five and he can't shoot and he can't do, but like he was bringing the ball up, hitting guys. Like I think at one time he had seven assists, but he had 15 assists opportunities so I mean, that's amazing there was eight assists that he made that just didn't go in they were good shots and so I thought Yoli being able to play uh, a role that we recruited to bring him back I thought he did that and then Jake Toulson and I've known this guy the coach in the last three years is a big time voice and a leader that's going to hold these guys accountable um, that's going to play really really hard he's going to make shots so we, we have a talented roster and guys know that but we also have some role players like Dalton Nixon who are going to give their all in terms of having no agenda but to win. Did you have any weird situations where it was like crazy hot or humid in the gym so or anything weird like that? It was that? awesome. I kept quiet about it because I, I lived overseas <laughs> for 11 years and they, there's no air conditioning in the summer. They just didn't have it. Like even if you want to turn it on, they can't. There's anywhere? Not, anywhere. No, like in the basketball gyms. In there's the gyms, none. okay. The rims are going to be like playing outside in the chain, like <laughs> double rims. So these guys had to deal with no air conditioning. I mean, literally we had Nate Austin and I think Rob Ramos, our trainer on each end of the court with towels after every play, just because <laughs> you're just sweating. So there was one possession and I hope Jake's watching, but Jake is kind of in the bottom help side defense and the guy drive. He literally just gets out of the way because he thought he was going to slip and fall. Oh, right. And because so it was so wet. It was so wet. Oh, wow. It was so wet. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's just European international basketball, things we take for granted here in the States. You're not going to have air conditioning. You're not going to have a water fountain, right? you got to bring your own water. You're going to have all these drinks. So it was a, those guys who want to play professionally, and if it does go overseas, a little eye-opening. <laughs> uh-huh. uh-huh. Let's talk about the Powerade situation. Yeah. Because uh, I think Bobby uh, and his wife went and fetched yeah. Powerade like five miles on a train in a mile walking or something. <laughs> what happened? So we, the guys wanted Powerade. We're going to get in Powerade, and there's not like 7-Elevens. Or Maverick stores, and so I think Bobby and his wife were. I think they were out walking anyway, and they were. We got a text. He got a text, and so he kept going from store to store to store, and and then you know at some point he found it, and they walked all the way back. So it might have been a five mile round. Oh, you're saying trip. it was less, but it, it, it oh, might have been five oh, miles. I wasn't on the trip, but he told us all about it. A rising <laughs> shout out nominee to Bobby Hardusky for for doing the work. I did, huh? I did it that day. Yeah, yeah. I already mentioned yeah, that's, my rising that's shout right, out That's for right. That's right. You yeah. did. That's incredible. Yeah. Chris Burgess with us on Allegedly BYU Allegedly five Nation. miles. Yeah. So <laughs> when you look at your team, there is some roster shakeup. Yep. You're not going to have Yoli for the first nine games, unfortunately. Right. Zach Selyus gets hurt. So what are you doing to kind of shore up the roster now, knowing that those two key components aren't going to be there in the early part of the schedule? Well, we're going to start that come these workouts, probably start next week. And, and guys like, we're, we're fortunate. We have Dalton Nixon. We have Colby Lee. We have Gavin Baxter. We can slip to different positions, right? He can play the four and the five. And so we're going to need guys to step up. Trevin Nell just getting off his mission. We're going to need minutes from him. We're going to have to slide Jake probably two, three, and four at those positions. We're going to have to slide Connor Harding, two, three, and four, right? Mm-hmm. And we're just, coach does a really good job of, of playing the guys that are going to help you win as opposed to what position you are. Um, so, Yoli's really good. Everybody knows that. We saw that on the trip. We're like, holy cow, this this guy's, we're going to have to figure it out. And now he's running the floor. Yeah, he's running the floor. That's right. He's running the floor. He's bringing the ball up. But 
we have a talent enough roster where and, and guys are going to step up and and seniors right pretty heavy senior team so we're going to figure it out but we're going to have to start doing that the first official day of practice did Zach sell you? Was it? Did he break his foot? Is that? Was it in a game? Yeah, it was just a, one of those freak things where um, there, there was a shot up and he was planted and ready to turn and run on offense. And as he was turning, uh, their the other player from their team just kind of stepped on his foot. And as he turned right, he was pushing down. Zach's trying to go the other way. Mm. He knew it right away. He came over to coach right away, mm. and you could tell on his face. And so you know, he's recovering. So we'll hopefully get him back for the for the first week. And and that part, and that part stinks too. But yeah. he had to miss the rest of the trip. Yeah. He had to come yeah. over and have surgery. It's like, oh, yeah. I, that's what I was like, that man. It's surgery, but no Coliseo, no Capri Island, that's, and yeah, uh, it was it was a bummer for him. But we're obviously um, supportive and praying for him and hoping he heals properly. All right, Zach Selyus, get better, man. We're thinking about you as well, Chris. It's great to talk to you, man. Good talk to you guys. It's uh, nice to recap the tour of Italy. Yeah, we're still waiting for what you brought us back. <laughs> Fifteen pounds overweight. That's what I brought back. <laughs> <laughs> something. Come on, man. Thanks, Chris. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. We welcome you back to the show and now turn our attention to my one-on-one with BYU quarterback Zach Wilson yesterday. When he came out to address the media, it was clear his tone was very different. He's locked in and probably needs to be. BYU Sports Nation All Access, one-on-one with the quarterback Zach Wilson. Zach, you had a long weekend to review what happened against Utah and then turn the page to Tennessee. Let's start with the number one thing you took away from the Utah game that's going to help you as you move forward to game number two. Yeah, just executing. Um, you know, I got to be I got to be better. You know, a lot of aspects, making better reads. Also, you know, just taking care of the ball. I think that's a huge aspect that goes into the game. And so, you know, I got a lot of things to clean up for this week. But you know, execution overall as a team. Speaking of the turnovers. Uh, I know that a lot of people, especially Kalani, like the aggression and the confidence. And he always says, I would rather err on the side of aggression than on of being tentative. Where is the happy medium in that? Yeah, I mean, it happens as a quarterback. You've seen so many of the greats throw interception. I think, you know, it's, it's the fact of, you know, taking what the defense gives you and making, and making the smart right plays um, for the situation, knowing when to take a shot, knowing when to squeeze a ball in there. Um, you know, I thought I, I had really good times of that during the game, and then and then obviously some that that probably weren't the best decisions. And um, you know, I think a lot of that just just goes back to being that playmaker still and not being afraid to take shots. You never want to, you know, tell a quarterback don't. You never want to tell him, you know, don't throw this, don't throw that, because you know maybe what got picked off this game is a touchdown next game. And so you still want to have that that aggressive mentality, but just knowing when to do it. Everybody always wants to win and learn through winning, but it's football, it's sports, it's life. You're not, you're just not going to win every game. But a lot of people almost look at what happened against Utah and, and think, okay, well, how do you spin this for good? So how do you spin this, a loss that's always tough in a rivalry format, for good for the rest of the season? Yeah, man, uh, we, I think we got a lot of potential as a team. I think we kind of hit those uh, first game first game bumps at times. I thought we had a lot of good drives that we just couldn't get going or a penalty or a bad decision on my part and, you know, stuff like that. And so, um, you know, I do think we have a lot of potential. I think it just comes down to executing and, and, you know, us playing as a team, I think we really have the ability to be a good team still. 
BYU lost to Cal in their home opener last year and then went on the road and beat Wisconsin. It, it's hard for me not to compare the situation to this year where it's, okay, you lose a disappointing game against Utah at home in your home opener. Now you're going to a huge venue. Um, how did you learn from that loss at home last year and, and help you go to Wisconsin, and how do you bring that to this year? Yeah, just being able to forget about the game and look at it as a learning opportunity. Everyone gets to go in the film room and figure out what they did wrong. And, um, you know, hopefully when we go into this next week, those mistakes that we made should not be there. And, um, you know, we're cleaning up the details every week. So each week, as long as we're getting better, um, that's really all that matters as a team is that we're going to have that, um, that fight and that grit that, you know what, we got to have a better game this week. I know you're super critical of yourself. Uh, you've, you've made that apparent with how much you study film and, and whatnot. Um, but while you were watching film, what are some of the things that you felt like you actually did well? Yeah, I mean, just taking what the defense gives us. Utah's a good defense. Uh, they disguise things well, and they try and bait you into making bad throws. And um, at times, I thought there was a lot of opportunities where, um, you know, maybe they had hinted at, at, at us taking a shot or something down the field or, you know, throwing into something bad. And I thought we did a pretty good job of just taking what they were giving us, and we were taking the short yards and just marching down the field. How does Tennessee's defense stack up to what Utah put on the field against you? Yeah, they're different. Utah's a lot. I think they're they're a lot more aggressive. They're definitely more hands-on and and you know putting guys on the island and, and definitely way more aggressive. The scheme is definitely different. Uh, Tennessee runs a um, a variation of multiple different things. I think um, you know we'll have to be ready for the the different things they throw at us. But I think as long as we execute and we we control the things that we know, then we'll be good. What do you anticipate Neyland Stadium is going to be like this weekend, knowing that the Volunteers are coming off of a shocking loss and kind of in desperation mode to get one against you guys? Yeah, just an, just an amazing opportunity for us. I know it's going to be exciting to go and play in that stadium. I know I'm excited to go you know, see what's up and uh, um, see all the crazy fans and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, it's kind of one of those things is like how, how can we start the game, how can we finish the game and come out and do well. And so, um, you know, I'm excited. I know they're going to be chomping at the bit for a win, especially how it uh, played out for them this last week. How do you handle the outside noise and talk of what happened last week and what's going to happen this week? What, what, what's your in-season approach to all of that? Yeah, just no one really knows what's going on but us. Really, no one's watched that film but us. No one really knows where the mistakes came, what was good, what was bad. Um, you know, so I have that confidence in myself that no matter what mistake I make, you know, I always feel like I can rebound and, and be able to come back from something like that. And I know a lot of the team is the same way. And so no matter what anyone's predicting, we know what we're capable of. Has this loss most recently changed your focus? And if so, how? Yeah, I mean, a little bit, just being, being more attentive to the details, just being able to, you know, execute the small things, just, you know, we had too many MAs all around and, and too many guys messing up things that, you know, we haven't, we haven't messed up in practice all of fall camp. And so uh, we just got to be able to dial in in that, in that situation and have that, that, that strong focus and be able to execute in those high situations. And just to clarify, MA is missed assignment, correct? Yeah. Okay. Well, how do you kind of build each other up? Uh, this is obviously a very, very much a team game. It's not an individual game. How do you help each other out with that in that instance? Yeah, just holding yourself accountable. I think that's one of the biggest things is knowing, you know what, I screwed up. I made a mistake, but I got you guys back. I'm willing to learn. I'm, I'm willing to grow from this. And, um, you know, when everyone does that, um, really come and, and guys want to play for you when, you when you say that kind of thing. And so um, I think the guys are, are chomping at the bit and they, they want to get back in, into this week and have a good successful week and um, really focus on those things we didn't do well at. But, uh, you know, they're just excited. What was the message from Aaron Roderick and Jeff Grimes to you after the game, and, and how has that message evolved over the last few days? Yeah, just the trust and belief they have in me and um, the trust and belief they have in this team to do well. And, um, 
showed showed glimpses of it last week, but something we got to do more often. And so, you know, I appreciate their outlook on the game and how much they believe in me to, to, to lead this team to being a really good team. And so, um, you know, it's something we just got to take into practice. Who are some of the guys around you on offense that uh, you thought did some nice things that you expect big things from this week? Yeah, I mean, I thought our O-line did well. They held their own. Um, you know, some receivers made some good plays. Um, but I think overall as a unit, we just got to execute all as one. Um, ten, nine, ten guys can't be doing the job right and one or two guys not doing it. And so um, it's, it's everybody as a unit. Zach, it's great to talk to you. We appreciate the time, man. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. Zach Wilson, one-on-one BYU Sports Nation All Access. Obviously, a uh, little defensive, saying we know what happened. We're going to do this. Not right? everybody does. Right? And, and I get it, right? A lot of praise, and then this happens. Also, he sounds like he has a cold. Like, he sounds sick. I hope that he's better Saturday. Maybe he played sick. If that's the case, get better Zach. Yeah. What a first weekend for college football. And most of the biggest headlines feature BYU football's future opponents. Almost weirdly. Let's get to it. We're tracking the foes. And it starts here. Following a 30-12 win at BYU, Utah will now host Northern Illinois this week as the 14th-ranked Utes seek a 2-0 start. Enough of that. Yeah, they, and they made Clement pull. Who knows? They, only one team lost that was ranked. It was Oregon because they played uh, Auburn. Crazy finish in that one. That was fun. Tennessee. Oh, that's right. Perhaps it comes out tomorrow. Uh, Notre Dame-Louisville today. The Volunteers lost 38-30 to Georgia State, who was 2-10 last season in the Sun Belt. UT was outscored 24-13 in the second half. Uh, the Panthers outrushed the Big Orange, 213-93. Whoa. And Georgia State uh, received 950000 to play the game. By the way, BYU and Tennessee, no money exchanged to play the series. Just straight-up games. Hey, thanks for beating us. Here's a million bucks. Nice, right? The USC Trojans beat Fresno State 31-23 in a very entertaining game late Saturday night, but not without some cost. The Trojans lose starting quarterback JT Daniels for the season just prior to halftime with a torn ACL and meniscus. Daniels, up to that point, 25 of 34, 215 yards. Keaton Slovis now takes over as a freshman. He went 6 for 8 for 57 yards and an interception in relief. Running back Vavai Malapiai had 134 yards rushing on 23 carries. Next up for USC, 25th ranked Stanford before a visit to Provo. Washington, they ranked 13th, routed FCS national title runner-up Eastern Washington, 47-14. New quarterback Jacob Eason threw four touchdowns, 349 yards. Washington hosts Cal this week. Toledo opens the season 0-1, losing at Kentucky 38-24. Toledo never trailed in the first half, but different story after the break. Starting quarterback Mitchell Wadani threw for 122 yards, rushed for 73 yards, but he too was injured, left the game with a concussion on a targeting call. The Rockets, thankfully for Mitchell, have a bye this week. South Florida, the Bulls were demolished by number 19, Wisconsin. Is it even hard to beat Wisconsin? 49 nothing at home. Jonathan Taylor scored four touchdowns. Rushed for 135. Uh, USF has lost seven straight games. They play at Georgia Tech this week. On to Boise State. Oh, what a game. The Broncos, trailing 31-13 at one point, rally to upset Florida State 36-31 in Tallahassee. What a road win. Yeah, Boise game, State doing their thing. The game moved from Jacksonville, and uh, Boise State still flew to Jacksonville. Freshman quarterback Hank Bachmeyer. Yeah. Uh, went bonkers. He yeah, was awesome, yeah. right? 407 awesome. yards, touchdown, running back Robert 
Mahone rushed for 142 yards and two touchdowns in the win. So uh, the Broncos youth, we thought might cause them some issues, showed up in Tallahassee. And, no. and Florida State is similar to Tennessee in that they've been down a little bit. So that's a nice win for them. Um, Florida State was up big. 18-point comeback. That was tough, right? Marshall this week in Boise. Utah State, Aggies lost a Power 5 opener with a late lead. They did this in 2011, 12, and now 18, right? Auburn, Michigan State, Wake Forest. Wake Forest not in the same league as those guys. Picked to finish still. six in the ACC Coastal, by the way. Yeah, Wake Forest not that great. Um, they're okay. 38-35, quarterback Jordan Love, 33 of 48, 416, three touchdowns. Also had three interceptions. Though. The Aggies host the mighty Stony Brook this week. Yeah, they'll be one and one after this week. <laughs> On to Liberty, Liberty, Liberty. Head coach Hugh Freeze making his coaching debut from a hospital bed. What? In the press box, recovering from back surgery back on August 16th. Holy cow. The Flames, tough test, had 22nd-ranked Syracuse on the docket. They lose 24-0. Buckshot Calvert, the quarterback for the Flames, 20 for 39 for 234 yards. Idaho State, the Cougars' FCS opponent, begins this week against Western Colorado on Thursday. How about UMass? Beat UMass in a battle of ESPN preseason bottom 10 teams. The Minutemen lose to Rutgers 48-21 in their opener. UMass will host Southern Illinois this week. The Salukis? Is that what they are, I think? San Diego State. In what was Rick Majerus, uh, he would have called this the offensive showcase. Offense. San Diego State beat... The Fighting Jay Hills of Weber State, 6 nothing, 6 nothing. yeah. The Aztecs put up 238 yards of total on the dub. San Diego State plays at UCLA this week. Okay, so after one week, we're going to make rash generalizations about oh, okay. all of BYU's opponents. How are you feeling now about all of these games? Should let's, we do a win-loss yes, really quick? Let's, let's, let's walk through it. So Tennessee, <laughs> hopefully win, right? Lost to Georgia okay, State. Okay. That's hopefully yeah, a win. Yeah, let's lean on the side of optimism. You, I'm wearing my Brigham Blue Goggles t-shirt. Let's do that. USC. Oh, that one's, I think BYU could... Up, upset USC, but I think it's going to be tough. I just think they're so fast. Yes, but USC's going to be coming off of a game, two tough games, Fresno State, Stanford, then they got to come to Provo knowing that Utah is the following Friday. trap game. Yeah, Washington, loss. Toledo, Uh, tough to know. I don't know. South Florida, I'm hoping that's a win. South Florida win. Boise State, (laughs) probably a loss, but hopefully I feel less confident about that. Utah State, we'll see. Offensive shootout. Liberty win, Idaho State win, UMass win, San Diego State win. Win. Yeah. Win. They have no offense. Every week we'll do that. No, no, no. No offense. Those teams are looking at BYU going win, too, by the way. So let's count up the wins. So we, we just counted. We just counted six wins and then a few toss ups. Yay! <laughs> the best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. We welcome you back to BYU Sports Nation, and we do so by welcoming in our guest with a stat of the day. It's the BYU Sports Nation stat of the day. In her 25th year now as the BYU women's soccer head coach, Jen Rockwood has a win percentage of 74.7%. Nice. She is with us now in Studio B, 375 career wins, taking your team to 19 NCAA tournaments, two Elite Eights, five Sweet 16s, 12 conference championships. I could go on and on, but you may have just received the most distinguished honor of all. 
and that is being immortalized in a bobblehead, this Coach. Is, this is awesome. Congratulations. Yeah, it's it's a little intimidating, a little scary, but uh, <laughs> it turned out really cool. So, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of it, and obviously a, a lot of people have helped me get to this point of 25 years for sure. It's, it, there's a good amount of bobble there, too. Yeah. Do you like how it turned out? I do, yeah. You I always wear I, the hat. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe some sunglasses, but, you know, <laughs> you always have to have the hat outside. Got to see your eyes, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You appear to be bearing gifts. I do. We, I we have gifts for you guys. Oh, thank you. The goods, the swag. Thank 25 you. years. Well, that's so cool. Little 25 logo. years. I know, crazy. Thank you. You're really nice. Yeah, I can't thank wait you. to rep this. This yeah. is fantastic. fantastic. And our new scarves for this year, oh, too. Because, nice. you know, soccer, you got to have scarves. Got to have a scarf. I'm a little, um, yeah, I'm a little cold, so this is going to be good as well. <laughs> it yeah. is cold it's in it's only studio. like 95 degrees outside. You're wearing it scarf style. It is, it is cold in this studio. <laughs> absolutely I am. Wait, scarves are a soccer thing, yeah, so absolutely. you got to roll with them. Do you, do you have a uh, like professional team that you follow, like in the English Premier League um, or La Liga or something? I'm a big Barca fan. Okay. So, yeah, I, I follow them a little bit, yeah. and I've become a Manchester City fan. Okay. You know. Man City, not Man United. Man City. Yeah, well, Man because City's... they wear blue? No, it's because they're coach. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. But, okay, before we dive into your team, you went to the World Cup this I summer, did, did yes. It was fantastic, yeah. I went for six days and got to see five games. Whoa. I uh, went wow. to the two USA uh, uh, games and then also got to see Argentina play, uh, who we got to play in April. Mm-hmm. So, wow, it was, it was a quick trip, but got, got a lot in, and it was just amazing to see the excitement for women's soccer over there. It was crazy. That's Outstanding. Awesome. Yeah. Of note, the first 1,000 fans to the game tomorrow night between BYU and Utah will receive a custom Jen Rockwood bobblehead. <laughs> I will be one of those. <laughs> I will make sure yes, I get one. Yes. Your team has gone from unranked to number 10 mm-hmm. in three games. I mean, that's quite the jump. I can't take you seriously with a scarf like that. <laughs> but it's a good look. It is, it a, is good a good look. look. Thank you, Coach. Yeah, yeah, it's a good look. What does a top 10 ranking at this juncture of the season mean to this team? You know, we usually don't talk too much about the rankings. We've been fortunate to be ranked a lot over the years, and, you know, we, we try not to talk too much about them. But, you know, this is – it's a pretty big deal for these for these girls to be, uh, you know, set at that standard. Um, we knew coming into the season that we had a, a great group coming in, coming back, a lot of returners, a lot of leadership, a lot of experience, and we added an amazing group of freshmen that have already been significant to our team. And, uh, you know, we just got off to a good start, and we, we went on the road and played two SEC teams and had some good results and then played really well in our third game. And, you know, hopefully people just recognize we've got some pretty good players on our team, and uh, we're, we're moving forward and getting better. There was a great crowd in the home opener against Southern Utah, and you end up giving them seven goals in that one. Mm-hmm. Um, then tomorrow night, Friday night against Utah. Mm-hmm. What do you expect for that one in, in what will be an amazing matchup on a Friday night against the rival? Yeah, I mean, that's what you want. You know, school just started. We've got uh, freshmen and kids coming back to school, and uh, an amazing crowd for us against Southern Utah. Uh, I'm pretty sure we're even going to get a bigger crowd. The girls love playing in front of that type of atmosphere. It gives them a lot of energy and excitement, but you know, Utah, we play them every year. It's a great rivalry game. It's, it's great soccer. You know, we have a, a roster full of a lot of Utah kids, and so do they. So all of these girls, you know, grew up playing together uh, against each other on the same club team, same high school. And so there's always kind of something to prove, similar to the, the rivalry that football and basketball have with them. But um, it's, it's always a pretty close game. It's, it's always very dramatic. It's very back and forth. But uh, hopefully we'll be able to come out with the energy that we had in the last game. And um, we've been working a lot on our attack in the last couple of weeks. And uh, we've got some great uh, players, attacking players, that uh, can score some goals. So we hope to put a few in. Jen Rockwood in her 25th season as the head coach of BYU Women's Soccer. Her team ranked number 25. 10 after a 3-0 start Man. is with us on BYU Sports Nation. 
I'm always interested to hear different coaches talk about the rivalry game because every coach has a very strong opinion. Yeah, it's just another game, nameless, faceless opponent. Other coaches are like, oh, no, it, it, it matters more. Where do you stand in that conversation? I'm probably right in the middle. Um, you know, we try and approach every game, as every coach is going to say, with equal importance. But it, it really is true in our sport. You know, you only get 19, 20 games, and those games are your resume to the tournament. And so if you, it's, it's hard to slip up, and even one game uh, can, can make a huge difference. And so, you know, we talk about Southern Utah game – was just as important as our Alabama game. You know, Utah is just important as our Southern Utah game. And so you have to approach every game pretty consistently and not let the emotions get too up and too down. Um, but, if you know, there's a little something more to the Utah game. Um, we've been on the, on the winning edge of it uh, over the last several years. And so there's an expectation I think our team have and our seniors certainly have trying to get their fourth win uh, in a row over them. And so it puts a little bit more pressure. But, again, we're trying to thrive off of the pressure this year, and, and we want it. We want that target on our back and we want everybody's best shot and you get it uh, a lot of times and you certainly have some of the uh, star power with at least flake and michaela coolahan and company mm-hmm. tell us about some of the newcomers that are making an impact right away yeah we have a, a freshman uh jamie shepherd starting for us you know uh, olivia wade was a freshman starter played pretty much every minute last year for us and she's on a mission right now and so we'll be excited to get her back but jamie shepherd has been able to come in and you know yeah. all-american player and has a lot of experience played on the same club team uh that are that steve magleby coached and so um, we have a lot of familiar with, him, uh, with her and how she plays. And she's been able to step in. It's such an important position for us, and she's done an amazing job. We've got um, S.J. Affleck that's coming from uh, North, uh, Southern California um, who's got a lot of minutes and, and has started a couple times. Um, Rachel has, has done really well. We've got some good depth coming off the bench right now, and that's really exciting. I think it'll be one of our deeper teams we've had. I was just waiting for Olivia Wade to show up on the yeah. preseason All-West Coast Conference team like Paige Barker that did was when she so on her mission. Yeah. She's on a mission, not even here. It's like she's not even on the team. Yeah. Well, she made that much and, of an impact. And, yeah. and let's address that. Um, when the mission age changed, mm-hmm. um, it was kind of like, how will this impact the program? How has it impacted the program? Yeah, I, you know, when it first happened, I really didn't think it would impact it that much. You know, in the past, our, our girls played their four years, and then if they wanted to go, they went on their mission. But it really had an impact. We had five girls decide that very first year you can't you know we're recruiting two three years in advance and so you can't replace that and so after we kind of went through that cycle of that those couple years and it worked out really well and most all the girls were able to come back and get back right at it and and uh, we figured that whatever happens is is great you know the girls have a good experience but you look at the return missionaries Paige came back right away and had a significant contribution to us her senior year you've got uh, Rachel Lyman um, Alyssa Jefferson Josie Manuel we have a lot of return missionaries right now and then we'll get some back next year we'll get three back next year coach thank you for the scarves yeah appreciate it for the polos we love to rep BYU women's thank, soccer thanks for winning the most and thank you <laughs> that, that, that's yes. the thing that's the that, most that's fun. what makes it so fun yeah. so that is the plan to keep winning thank so. you for 375 wins well thank and you 25 years that's incredible thanks, it's guys. gonna be a fun season yeah. thanks Jim so we think Around 10,000, maybe more because of what happened and tickets are available. At least 10,000 BYU fans are going to show up in Neyland Stadium. They travel well. Or is it that they actually travel, Jason? It's more that BYU fans are just everywhere. And Bomani Jones of ESPN understands that. Yesterday on his podcast, The Right Time with Bomani Jones, he said, quote, BYU football 
is the most visible public representation of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And then said, they've got church members everywhere, so they'll show up to watch BYU. Jason, in your opinion, is BYU football the most visible public representation of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? My initial reaction was no. And the reason I say that is because my initial reaction in terms of the public representation would be missionaries. Okay, That was my initial reaction. But then the more I thought about it, and then I, I went back and, and listened to the comments again, I can certainly understand why Bomani would say that. And he's right. When, it, when BYU comes to town, attendance goes up. And by the way, so do ticket prices, by the way, because they know they can capitalize on that. You have wards, stakes, branches that come together to go to the games and support the team. And people notice that. With BYU's association with ESPN as well, look, they're on national television, worldwide television, if you really think about it, which also helps the visibility of the church. Here's what else stood out to me about Bomani's comments. They were all very complimentary. Nationally these days, it seems like a lot of the national attention we get is is somewhat negative or people taking shots at us. So it was actually nice to hear somebody discussing it logically and, and honestly, accurately. It was also pretty cool that Bomani knows to call us the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He's researched. That, that I, thought that was a, I thought that was a huge deal. Yeah, a couple of things really stand out. Not many people understand the dynamic of BYU and why fans always show up at games. And he was comparing BYU to Liberty. That's how, yes. Liberty is trying to become as a religious institution, and they want to build and work on all this. I, I appreciated that he understands yeah. why BYU fans are everywhere, and it's because of the affiliation with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's just nice to hear an educated opinion yeah, right. on this. Yes. Okay? For once. And maybe I'm not being fair to most national writers, but... I just was like, he, this is a guy that knows, and I appreciated that a lot. Yes, he, he was not just saying it flippantly. He, he had done the research and knew what he was talking about. The best of BYU Sports Nation. We'll be right back. Rise and shout for the trending topics of the week here on the best of BYU Sports Nation. One game in. The quest for perfection's over. Sorry, everybody, but BYU still has 11 regular season games. Spencer, is BYU still on track to achieve its season goals? Yes. Why is this even a question? It's we're one game in. We're one game in. Like, is everything out the window? Oh, it's over. The season, the aspirations, oh, it's done. Come on. Calm down. One game against maybe the best team or highest ranked team BYU will face all year. I know it's Utah, and I know it stinks, and I know it hurts, but it's one game. I, th- I think BYU will win seven games. I had them taking a step in the right direction. Jeremy, you have BYU winning eight games. Yeah, they've got to win this week. Eight games is still attainable. Zach Wilson had a bad game against probably the best defense he will face all season. It- it's the first game back after his shoulder surgery. Going against a defense that's probably going to have five draft picks. Five! That's, and I'm, that, there might even be more. So, no, it, it's not all is lost. BYU is still on track to achieve the season goals. They can still have a winning record against their rivals. They have Boise State at home. They get to play Utah State. 
BYU can still go to a bowl game. They can still win more games than they did last year and take another step in the right direction. Yes, they're on track to achieve the season goals. Like, can what has one game changed everything for people? What one game? I just feel like that is such a myopic view. Like, take off the blinders, people. There are 11 games left to play. I can't believe this is even a question. Do you, do you agree with me, or do you feel like this is now that the tone has been set and the season's already been defined? The season's over. Cut the program. So, no. Come on. Yeah. That game was Utah, though. That game was Utah. Had BYU won that, we'd be feeling very different. BYU, not only did they not win it, they didn't look good in it. So it's very frustrating, and I get that. Uh, th- but, and that wasn't just another game. I feel like you're phrasing it like it was, it was it's one game. That was Utah. I know, but BYU wasn't expected to win that game. BYU is expected to at least compete, and they did not, and that's frustrating. So it makes you think, well, is BYU not going to compete with other teams, right? It's too early, though, to, to, yeah, say that they're not on track. If BYU lose to Tennessee, now they're off track, right? Because starting 0-2, you're going to go max 1-3 and at best. BYU is not going to beat USC and Washington. It's, it's one of the next three Maybe two. If BYU's BYU going to USC. win one of the next three. Like it, I, that's what they do. If they, yeah, and if they don't beat Tennessee, they're going to start 0-2, and that's, uh, that's epic because that doesn't happen very much, which brings us to our stat of the day. It's the BYU Sports Nation stat of the day. Thanks, Greg Rubel, for most of this. BYU started 0-2 four times the last 53 years. This is something that BYU doesn't do. They don't start 0-2. So they've got to win this game. But, again, I'm the schedule guy, right? We always lined up these four power fives, and uh, hopefully BYU can go beat Tennessee, restore a little confidence, a little order, right? It matters how BYU wins, too. Like, if they win 3 nothing, like, it'll be, okay, that's good, but, right? Uh, BYU needs a good performance this week. And Tennessee seems incredibly vulnerable right now, yet they're going to perhaps make some course corrections and be on high alert in a way that they were not before, and BYU lost to Cal last year but got Wisconsin. But Wisconsin didn't lose a game they weren't supposed to the week before. Wisconsin won that game. So um, BYU could be perceived as being down. But Tennessee looks vulnerable, too. It's a really interesting dynamic going into Rocky Top this Saturday. It's been almost a quarter of a century since BYU started a season 0-2. You've got to go all the way back to Steve Sarkeesian's first year, 1995. And that season stunk. Tennessee, didn't go to a bowl game. Well, they were 7-4, and four, yeah, didn't but go didn't to go bowl to a bowl game. game. Yeah, didn't win the league. Didn't, you know. Tennessee hasn't started 0-2 since 1988. So they're pushing 31 years if, indeed, they lose to the Cougars at home. Like Desperation in full effect. Which team's more desperate? Good gravy. Join the conversation 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook using the hashtag BYUSN. The best of BYU Sports Nation rolls on after this. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Heather Olmstead. The BYU women's volleyball head coach has worked miracles, and she is a miracle. She has her team ranked 13th in the nation right now, went to the final four last year, seven straight sweet 16s for this program. But you probably don't know what happened with Heather and her twin sister and the fact that, the, that they're even – because they're with us, it is miraculous. Here is an unforgettable deep blue story with head coach Heather Olmstead and her family. I grew up 
going to the beaches with my dad and we were able to watch really high level volleyball and he was able to coach me. I really just learned a lot about life and doing things you don't want to do. He really gave me self-belief that I could do anything I wanted. That's really been why I've wanted to give that back to others. When you start naming off top coaches, you're naming a bunch of people that are a lot older than she is. She has the highest winning percentage of any coach in history. When she took over, it really hasn't missed a beat. Heather's success at BYU almost didn't happen. Just a normal pregnancy, excited to be expecting my fourth baby. I started with a cough and it concerned the doctor after about three months and we discovered that I had a tumor in my lung. Things were happening so fast. It was like different opinions were happening daily from different doctors. And it was just barrage. Each time I'd go up there, there'd be a different diagnosis and a different opinion. It seemed to be fast growing and that they felt that I only had three months to live if nothing was done. And that was just, what? I was advised by doctors that I should abort to save my life. Then the doctor decided to take a final ultrasound scan of the growing fetus. I was awake during that scan, and when I heard one of the doctors say, oh dear, I wondered what they'd found now. But everything changed for me when the doctor said, you are carrying twins. In that moment, I said to myself, the Lord did not allow me to conceive twins only to abort them. I'm going to deliver the babies. If I die, I die. Believing she had three months to live, they wanted to try to find other options and other people that believed what they did in not aborting the babies. You have to remember that all of this is pre-electronic uh, era. All I remember is it was a Sunday. I went across the street. There was a payphone. I called Dr. Nelson. The doctors here say it's this. They say it's this, that I have to do this. That. And I remember him being not gruff, but being very firm and saying, young man, do you want to talk or would you like to listen to me? So I listened to him, and I just felt comfortable with what, what he had to say. Well, I've got the record of my work on her right here, so I'll read it. The date of this operation was June 16th, 1980. This patient, 30 years of age, is pregnant with twins. She's about 16 weeks into her pregnancy. And she had symptoms of cough and shortness of breath. So her obstetrician got a chest x-ray, which revealed a large tumor in the right lung. I operated upon her at their request that the only way that we could remove it surgically was to take out the whole lung. It was complete inspiration and revelation on that surgery table that he received to know how to navigate that treacherous surgery. This is the kind of an operation that doesn't happen very often. In fact, one time in my career, when I got down to the very most crucial part of the operation, I found that there wasn't a way I could get the tumor away from the heart. There was only room for the blade of the scissors. So I cut the artery and put my finger in the pulmonary artery 
And he said, I put my finger in there and did the surgery with one hand. And then put the stitches around the artery and pulled those up and pulled my finger out and tied him down and she survived. So it ended up not just being about the tumor, it ended up, you know, being the journey that our family took. When she gave birth, had many complications. She needed to get blood transfusions, and so through that, she contracted hepatitis C. They didn't know the treatment for it. They didn't know the life expectancy, but they knew it was life-threatening. So I spent a number of years learning how to deal with that not knowing that someday they would find a treatment. Growing up, our mom always treated Heather and I as miracles and said we were her miracle twins to anyone she met. She is an unbelievable mom to all her, all her seven kids. I think that my mom showed us that we can do hard things, that we can make a decision, stick with it, and see it through to the end, and that we can accomplish and overcome any hard trials that we might have in our life. Can you imagine the courage of that woman when the doctors in California had not been able to remove it surgically and really couldn't help her? She was willing to lay her life on the line for those children. It's a miracle that I'm alive, and I'm grateful for the example of my parents and my mom and my dad who've taught me how to love and how to work hard and how to believe. And I want to give that to others. I don't think she was saved just for this, but I think this is her mission. Her ability to coach and use what she has seen and learned through her whole life and change the lives and affect the lives of young women. At the end of the 2018 season, uh, we were out at the Final Four and they recognized Heather as the National Coach of the Year, which is a really big deal. As a coach, that's the highest award you can get. But the coolest thing about Heather is she doesn't need those accolades to change how she feels about herself or how she continues coaching. What was special is that she asked us to come with her when she was receiving the award because she always tells us that it's a team award and... She never made it about herself, but she made it about the team. I can't imagine being at this program without her as our coach. I want the young women on our team to learn never to give up, to always go after what you want throughout their life. They're going to go through hard things, and so we just need to keep pushing one foot in front of the other with faith, and we can accomplish many, many things together as a team especially, and win and lose and still be kind and loving and be a great example to the community and many people who are watching our team play. Just an unbelievable story. It's one of the best stories I have seen ever. It's fantastic. And I'll never forget when we, we saw this and I had no idea what was coming and to see that the prophet of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was the doctor was unbelievable. <laughs> It's great to have the Olmstead uh, clan with us. Can't can't say it enough. We'll be right back with more of the best of BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. 
This is your day-to-day BYU Sports play-by-play. I'm Spencer Linton alongside Jerem Jordan. Welcome to all of the students back on campus for the first day of classes. Hopefully you're watching the show and not paying attention to anything your teachers are saying. I want, if someone's watching in a class right now on your computer or phone, I want you to tweet at us. High school or college Hashtag for that matter. BYUSN. Yes. Okay? I would love to see it. <laughs> don't say what class or what teacher uh, you have so we don't get you in trouble. <laughs> Just send us the picture. Joining us now, a guy who always paid attention in class, as long as football was involved, Blaine Fowler, national champion at BYU, dual threat analyst. Blaine, welcome back to Studio B. I'm concerned about what you guys are promoting here. <laughs> I have a feeling. It's like, hey, whatever you do, don't pay attention in class. That's the message. <laughs> I don't know. These are grown I don't know about good. that. I have a feeling you were a good student because all of your kids have been excellent students yes. at BYU. Was that the case? Yeah. Or they, did they get that from Brenda? They mostly got it from Brenda. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Kellen had like a 5.7 GPA. He, he had a good GPA. <laughs> Kellen yeah. was the first team academic All-American. Yes, he was. So, and an NCAA postgraduate scholarship board winner. But guess what? Gavin graduated with a higher GPA. Nicely oh, done, Gavin Fowler. Nice. Yeah. So, no, they, all, all of them did. What about Landon? Well. Landon... I don't think anybody in our family graduated with lower than a 3.8. Nice. <laughs> and Landon nice. has a master's degree in accounting. That's not an easy program. At Kellen, BYU. And which which is the Virginia, best accounting right? program oh, in the yeah. country. Kellen did law school at the University of Virginia. Yeah. Gavin, a, a small Gavin school. his senior year yeah. of football, was one year into his master's degree in public administration. So. Okay. That's awesome. And it's all because of Brenda. So here, here's the <laughs> advice. And, and I don't know this. This isn't me. Brenda decided that she was going to start reading to them like when they were in their cribs. So she just read like crazy to them all the time. So they all grew up loving reading. And if you love to read and you can read and comprehend, then you can do well in school. You can do well in college. So it all makes sense. Parents for us now, read to their kids from the crib on. Well, mine are toast. <laughs> just kidding. That's all, all Brendan, not me. Berenstain Bears for the win. Yeah, so whatever it is. I it all to the Berenstain They have Bears. to love to read, and then they can do great in college. Okay. Uh, reading... Into BYU football, Blaine. Now let's take a really analytical look at what happened against Utah and how the Cougars make a jump against Tennessee. So before we move on to Tennessee, what's on your mind after watching film extensively of the BYU-Utah game? Yeah, it, it was really disappointing because the in the first half, BYU had an opportunity where they should have been in the lead and errors cost them that. We we think about the two pick sixes and the fumble in, you know on their own 20. Um, but but we forget that they had a, a third down and short third and two in scoring position where you should get you should get that first down and maybe score and instead you settle for a field goal. Then another time when they had a third down and they fumbled and they settled for a field goal, and so they left points on the board in the first half. Um, Utah had deferred and they got the ball in uh, to start that first half. I was just watching that over again. And keep in mind, when, when you play as well as BYU did defensively in the first half against a team that's pretty loaded, and you know, Zach Moss is a big-time player, right? They held him in check in that first half. So what adjustments are you going to make at halftime? Well, you're not, right? You're going to go, we have to wait and see what they're going to do in the second half, and then we'll adjust to that, right? And so they come out, and they march down the field. They made a few adjustments. They spread BYU out a little bit more and ran, ran that way. And... Uh, but before BYU could even get on the bench and have a conversation with the defense about, okay, this is what they're doing, these are adjustments we're going to make, the, it was a turnover again. 
And then guess what? It was a turnover again. And, and now the third quarter's over, and the offense really hasn't even had the ball, and the defense hasn't had a chance to sit down and talk. And, and when you get on your heels like that, you, you hear the cliche, hey, the wheels fell off. And when the wheels fall off, they really fall off. But it's not unusual for a good football team to come out of the locker room when they have the football and have a decent drive to start that half. But what typically happens is the defense then adjusts to that and the game plays out. Well, BYU never had an opportunity because of turnovers in that second half. And, and I've had a lot of Utah fans say, see, the talent won out in the end. That's why Utah is just running right at them. I'm like, no, talent doesn't have a lot to do with what was happening at the end. If Utah had come out of the locker room and turned it over back-to-back times and be and, – and, Utah's defense, as good as they are, especially as good as they are up front, they would have got worn down, and BYU would have been able to run the football against them down the stretch. That's just how it goes. That's how games go. And so it it all comes back to the same thing that we've talked about in recent years, and that is this turnover issue and not just regular turnovers. Devastating turnovers. It's it's one thing to turn the ball over when you're on the opponent's 35-yard line. So you really don't give up a score. It's almost like you punted. And then you can go defend a fairly decent field. But to turn it over directly for points twice and then another one where they only had to get whatever it was, 19 yards of... 22. Yeah, 20, so they had 22 yards of total offense and 20 points. Correct. That's, you cannot win, period. Not against UMass or no, Utah. against anybody. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, and a, for example, Utah is better than Arizona, right? But if they play Arizona and they give up 20 points on turnovers on 22 yards of offense, they have a really good chance they're going to lose the football game. Yes. And Arizona will probably be running the ball down their throats at the end of the game. It's, it's, and so as I watched it, I still feel the same way. I think BYU, from a physical perspective, matches up pretty good. We, we saw that in the first half. But turnovers have been a big deal. And Utah has done an unbelievable job of taking care of the football in these games. They did a great job of it in this one. They, they played it fairly conservative. I thought Andy Ludwig called a conservative game, and rightly so. He called the game to what the situation um, uh, dictated. He did a great job of utilizing what he had. He didn't put a ton on Tyler Huntley. He, he put it on Zach Moss. Man, if I'm calling plays for you, I'll put on Zach Moss too, right? Exactly. So, so they put the game on Zach Moss's shoulders. They didn't lay it on Tyler Huntley. Um, they didn't put him in a position where he could turn the ball over. And and for BYU, too much probably on Zach's shoulders. I would like to have seen them be able to run the ball a little bit more. I think in the second half, when you go turnover, turnover, now you're thinking, man, there's no time left. We don't have time to do what we wanted to do and run the football. Yep. And so, so you get out of your game plan at that point. That's tough because I think at that point, BYU needed to run it a little bit just to let the defense sit down on the bench and talk about what was going on. And, uh, but I think there was, you know, you get behind and you think you got to change what you're doing. That's hard. I, so I think BYU's got to run the ball better um, and they got to take care of the football. What I do think about Zach is is that he's a he's the kind of kid that really studies the game. He's going to look at the errors that he made, and he's likely not to do those again. And that's good. He's likely not to force that same ball in again that he did on the on the one pick six. This, the second he may just tuck it when he's getting tackled and not try to get it to an open, you know, a levahifo on the sideline and eliminate a couple of mistakes. This game comes down to the wire, and it's a good football game. Georgia State beats Tennessee. Is this a great thing or a terrible thing? Because it could be one or the other. Yeah, I, I don't know that makeup of that team uh, mentally. I, I can't think it's a good thing, right? I, so they can well, come it out. It shows you where that Tennessee is very beatable. Right. And, and now they're on high alert, right? Tennessee has way better athletes than Georgia State, right? I don't think You'd there's. You think? They do. 
There isn't any question of that. More team speed, bigger, more physical. Talent gap. Talent right. gap. Yeah, talent isn't everything, right? So, <laughs> so Tennessee is much better talent-wise than Georgia State is. But too many errors, assignment errors. They gave up plays. Georgia State played inspired. So it's a little bit scary because Tennessee has more talent than that. And so they can take the mindset of, okay, you got to put this game behind, and that we have to fix everything that went wrong in there and come out and play with a passion this next week. But there's also the risk for them that they come out and they really press now because it's like, wow, we can't believe that this just happened. Now we have to beat BYU. And when you play feeling that pressure, you try to make plays that aren't there, and you turn the ball over. And, and that's – so we'll see. I don't, I don't know them well enough in terms of their psyche or their mindset. I've watched them on film now. I know that they've got a lot of team speed all over the, all over the field. They've got a running back that runs a 4-4. Ty Chandler. Yeah, and so it's they've got team speed. They have talent. The receiver's a pretty good-looking group. They're very athletic at wide receiver. Um, I don't think they're going to be dominating for BYU up front. I don't think that their front on either side of the ball is as good as Utah's. Now, Utah's was young but big and physical. Um, and, of course, Utah's D-line is as good as there is in the country. And so h- how does Tennessee match up? I think from the wide receiver perspective, there's, they're probably better than Utah's wide receivers. They don't have a better running back than Zach Moss. No. But, but up front, I think Utah's a better football team um, than, than Tennessee is on both sides of the football. So I think BYU matches up well, but it's a different kind of matchup. Um, they, they have to make sure that they keep their angles and things proper because speed can result in big plays. Where Utah might just grind you and pound at you, Tennessee could get big chunk plays, and BYU's got to be assignment sound and um, and be in a good position for the right angles to tackle because the speed of Tennessee is what could cause BYU problems. Blaine Fowler with us on BYU Sports Nation. Jeremy and I were just discussing where BYU needs to make the biggest improvements, where we think they'll make the biggest improvements from week one to week two. I think execution in the form of big plays and something I didn't mention early on is in the red zone. BYU was three for three in the red zone. Awesome, right? They kicked two field goals. If they score a touchdown, it's an entirely different story there. So I lean towards execution. Jaron brought up turnovers, obviously. Where do you think BYU is going to make the biggest improvement in week two? Well, tur- turnovers are game-changing, and, and I think they'll take care of the ball better this week. We'll be a little more careful with the football. So is just it, one pick six instead of two? I think, no pick six. <laughs> <laughs> I think no pick sixes. I think no pick sixes. And, you know, there's – there's forced turnovers and there's giveaways. Um, and in all three of BYU's, when you just miss a handoff and put it on the ground, the defense isn't responsible in any way, shape, or form for that, right? Giveaway. That's, That's a giveaway. giveaway. Um, now, you can call uh, the two pick sixes forced turnovers, but then you have to go back and look at the decision-making tree of the quarterback and go, they're both kind of giveaways. The, the one where, where Zach was stumbling and got hit – and the ball came out short, and there was an open receiver. I'll give. I'm giving him a takeaway. Yeah, that's, that's a takeaway. That's a takeaway. Yeah. The other is a simple read, where you should throw that ball to the to. The, if Mike Holmgren told me a hundred times, he told me a thousand times. All of us, why are you throwing it that? Take the easy one. Like, make your read. Get the ball out. Get it to the easy guy. Throw the three-yard ball where the guy's open. No reason to push the ball up the field into coverage. And so that just rings in my head. And and Zach is so skilled, sometimes he wants to fit the ball in. And what he'll learn through experience, I think he'll learn from this game is, man, if I just take the easy one, sometimes you throw a three-yard ball and it results in a 25-yard game. And and so I, I'm going to call that one a giveaway. 
So I think Utah had one takeaway and BYU had two giveaways. Ugh. And and giveaways kill you. So BYU just needs to eliminate the giveaways. It's like it's in basketball. You, you come down. There's there's some that hurt you and some that don't. When you come down and you just throw the ball out of bounds and it's a dead ball turnover and then you can set your defense. Those don't hurt you that much. When you come down and you turn the ball over in the backcourt and they get a run out on the other end and dunk the ball, those are devastating, right? Especially in big times in the game. BYU's turnovers were all three like that. They were runouts. That's the analogy in basketball. Those just kill you. They kill your morale. They hurt you because they just result directly in points. They need to eliminate those, and that'll make a big difference. And I like the way they match up up front with Tennessee. I think that... BYU will run the football better this week, and that's the area I want to see them improve because if they can establish a run game, then the play-action game and all that stuff comes, and it makes it much easier on Zach Wilson in play-action when he's got receivers that are fairly open. Here's to no pick sixes. Blaine, after further review, we look forward to tonight, 7 Eastern, five sorry, 4 Pacific, live on the BYU TV app. Uh, it will air again tomorrow. Great stuff, man. Thanks, Thank guys. You. Thanks, Blaine. The best of BYU Sports Nation. We'll be right back. Hear what the coaches, athletes, and experts have to say. Here's another great interview from the week on the best of BYU Sports Nation. We have received some breaking news that we are bringing to BYU Sports Nation in a release from Brigham Young University. We will get to that in just a moment. Wherever and however you're connected, great to have you with us. A loaded show as BYU football prepares for Tennessee and we are learning some breaking news regarding BYU basketball and what has happened in the Cougars' appeal to reinstate 47 wins for Dave Rose and BYU basketball. BYU Sports Nation breaking news. This has just been announced that the NCAA has denied the appeal in regard to the vacated 47 wins for Coach Rose and BYU Hoops as a result of the investigation into Nick Emery's receipt of improper benefits during the 2016-2017 season. A statement from the university says, and I quote, BYU is concerned about the harmful precedent that this case sets and the message it sends to NCAA membership who may now be punished with a vacation of records, regardless of whether the institution knew about or participated in the violations. Quote continues, BYU strongly disagrees with the NCAA imposing this penalty in a case that included clear findings that there was no lack of institutional control, no failure to monitor, and no head coach responsibility for the violations. A key mission of the NCAA's infractions program is to prescribe fair and appropriate penalties. Today's decision is unprecedented and unfair to BYU and other institutions committed to compliance, end quote. Wow, strong statement from BYU. The biggest deal here is, Jason, BYU's coaching staff and nobody else associated with the program were found to know anything about this, and yet the whole program is being punished, even though they were totally disassociated with this. it was the uh, wrong decision when it was originally announced, and this is just compounding a wrong decision. Holy cow. The voice of the Cougars, Greg Rebell, joins us in studio. Greg, always nice to have you. This is not a happy topic per se, but um, very interested to get your opinion on this. What, what do you think of this? And how, 
We think it's bogus, obviously. What does this do to Dave Rose's legacy? Well, you, you, you have to look at the fact that the NCAA hasn't ruled like this before. This is, this, there, there was no institutional knowledge or awareness, and it was an individual violation. The institution's clearly being brought to pay for something individual. And in the past, vacations of records have always had an institutional tie-in. And there's no real institutional tie or responsibility here. Uh, it was truly, it appeared to be individual in nature. And so the institution is now doing something that uh, the NCAA has not made other schools do historically, that is vacate records or something like this. And so uh, from what I understand, it's the first time that a vacation has, uh, a vacation of records has coincided with a lack of institutional uh, knowledge or awareness of the violations. So that's unfortunate. And you hate to end up with any kind of asterisk. And uh, BYU's been, you know, free of that forever right uh and and so you just you just don't want to have that have to be part of your um you know part of your portfolio no here's the thing byu has cooperated they cooperated with this in hopes that the ncaa would i don't know perhaps deal them a hand of mercy in all of this but it feels like it's compounding with the yoli child's nine game suspension and now the deny the denial of this appeal i I mean, yeah. at, what, at what point are you like, okay, maybe we shouldn't play nice anymore? Yeah, it, appeared, it appeared that BYU did everything right once they became aware of, of this individual situation, and yet the punishment is as harsh as it would be for an uh, institution that was uh, uh, either reckless or intentionally circumventing regulations. It's unfortunate. All right, let's, uh, let's move on to some, uh, some football. Big game, obviously, this week with BYU on the road at Tennessee. Both teams looking to rebound. What was your biggest takeaway from last Thursday night's game at Lavelle Edwards Stadium? Well, the takeaway was the takeaways. <laughs> from Utah, Utah had three of them. BYU had none, and that was the ball game. I mean, really, almost nothing else you want to talk about from last week matters. It just doesn't. Um, you know, BYU lost the game by 18 and, and, and gave Utah 20 points directly off of turnovers. That's it. 22 yards of total offense to score 20 points because yeah. two of those turnovers were pick sixes. BYU's defense kept Utah's offense from a lot of chunk plays. They really weren't there. The chunk plays were the pick sixes. And, and the fumble exchange here results in a touchdown with three plays later. So, yeah, it, it's <laughs> normally BYU and Utah are going to play a tight, a tight, closely contested thing that will come down to the end. It didn't this time because minus three in the margin, and uh, minus 15 over nine years, which is also another remarkable number in this thing. But you can break it down any number of ways you want. But, uh, uh, and then there were some things BYU wanted to do in that game that actually got done, but it just doesn't matter. When it's minus three, uh, Utah's clean again, as they've been more often. You know, they, they, they've been clean in four of the nine wins they've had over BYU. That is zero turnovers. And BYU hasn't had a turnover-free game yet in any of the nine losses. So it, it almost is all about that right now. We're just full of good news right now, aren't we? <laughs> Holy a happy cow. show today. Let's try and uh, yeah, bring up the mood a little bit. And let's be optimistic. Let's put on the blue goggles a little bit, Greg. Where Greg, do you, you expect to see BYU's biggest I'm going big time. Yes, yes we need it. Where do you expect to see BYU's biggest improvement in week number two? Run game. O-line play. Uh, I, I think it was actually maybe even there for BYU last week, but they never really got a chance to truly explore it. Uh, they snapped only 55 plays. They had only 10 running back handoffs for the game. If you take away a reverse and a fly sweep and the quarterback runs, 10 handoffs to a running back. That's a low number. And I think the O-line probably feels they had a lot more left in the tank last week. And I think they want to show that this week. Uh, I, I think BYU is committed to throwing it. And that's going to be a storyline throughout the season. They're committed to having a strong and prolific air attack and, and, and getting chunk plays through the air. But they're not going to ignore the run game. And you can't ignore Tyson Williams. 
he had a better yards per carry average than Zach Moss last week. <laughs> Difference is, Zach got four times as many carries as Tyson Williams. And as Jeff Grimes described, first half game plan was one thing. Second half was going to be more between the tackles with Tyson, but they never really got to that opportunity. Then they became, uh, first of all, the number of plays, only 18 snaps after halftime, and then the game got away a little bit, and all these things kind of changed. But uh, I, th- I think we'll see a better and more productive run game. I think that O-line's ready to roll. I but really do. Doesn't everybody feel better now? I do. Having worn the blue yeah. goggles for yeah, a few a moments. Yeah. Okay. I think all of us were watching that Tennessee-Georgia State game last week, and, and as it was progressing, like, wow, this is, this is crazy. And then when you realized what the end result was going to be, you immediately said, well, well, what does this mean for this week? What do you think – how do you think the loss to Georgia State by Tennessee affects BYU's chances of going in there and winning? Well, I, I think both teams are equally – um, dinged right now and, and equally uptight and equally upset. But, the, but the, the impact is greater because it was Tennessee at home as a 25-point favorite. You lose that game and it's end of the world. BYU loses a ninth straight to Utah. It's a bummer. It's a drag. When's it going to turn around? But you can see kind of why it happened and how it happened. And you think you're better than that. And Utah's a really good team. BYU lost to a top 15 maybe top 12, top 10 type team, and Tennessee lost to the 10th place pick in the Sun Belt. So, <laughs> so the, the, the losses have different weight, yes, right? Yes. I, I think BYU is more to feel good about than maybe Tennessee does right now. That said, they've got to go show it, and they've got to show that what Tennessee's uh, weaknesses uh, were last week can still be weaknesses and exposed by BYU team that should be able to take advantage in certain spots. But BYU and Tennessee played a similar game in a lot of ways. Um, they, they, they both turned it over three times. They both gave the opponent short field scores uh, and or pick sixes in BYU's case. Uh, they didn't run the ball well. They were both in the, in the 90s in yardage, and they both gave up 200-plus in rush yardage. So there were a lot of similarities in how those two teams performed in week one, but BYU faced a better opponent and I think would have expected to do better um, you know, despite what we see in terms of those stats, especially in the minus three. Um, I, I, and I just, I, I just wonder who's going who's gonna to have the bigger bounce back, the bigger rebound, and show that their first week was more of an illusion than the other uh, right now. Uh, because, I mean, the talent is there. I mean, Tennessee, with a lot of these same guys, beat two ranked team li- teams last year. Um, so, so they have talent, and it was really an underperformance. They actually outgained Georgia State. They, 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 they had 400-plus yards. It was the turnovers, uh, minus three. And, and including short field scores that really hurt them. You could argue that you know those points off of turnovers and BYU's points off of turnovers given to Utah really did the, the, the difference in both games. I am of the opinion that if BYU can go in there and perform well and survive the hornet's nest that I think will be there in the first quarter specifically, then the Cougars are, are in good position. If BYU jumps out to an early lead, and I know statistically it's great, but just emotionally, then it, it's almost like, Panic and doom set in on Tennessee again. Right. And they have more to worry about at that point. Like, is it happening again? The fans are going to start to rumble and grumble. The BYU fans there are going to be heard. That's the thing. You're going to have a BYU pocket of fans that when things go well, Tennessee fans will be like, this is a little different. That a team from this far away is coming and has a fan base here. Uh, I, I really do believe that starts are huge. Um, BYU's first quarters have not been great in the Satake area. They're slow starters. They really are. Um, and it's just kind of, kind of a consistent slow starts. If they can remedy that this Saturday, if, if they can just score first, even just scoring first means a lot. BYU wins about uh, 36% of games when they, when they allow the first score, and they're winning in the low 70s percentage-wise when they, when they just have the, just, wow. just the first score. Wow. So it's about twice the win rate when they can just get out and score first. It just means so much to this team. Um, and, and the bottom line is you've got to score to win. I mean, BYU has lost 14 straight games 
when scoring fewer than 21 points. You can't score in the teens and expect to have a shot, really. Uh, it's been The last time BYU won a game with 20 was uh, Portland. They beat, an FCS, beat Portland State, an FCS team, a couple of years ago. Got to score to win. Uh, and, and, and college football these days is a high-scoring affair. I know that BYU played a really good Utah team. It's tough to put up 12 points and say that's who we are because it's really not who BYU is. It was last week. But there were 74 teams that scored 30 or more on week one of college football. It's a high-scoring game these days, and you just can't be down where BYU was. And I don't expect them to be. Got to score to win. And uh, that's not a great revelation, but it's pretty true that, that BYU is not winning lower-scoring games these days. Greg, always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks for coming. Pleasure in. always mine. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Joining us now on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline is the voice of Tennessee Volunteers football, Bob Kessling, making a return to the show. Bob, nice to have you on again. Thanks, guys. Good to talk to you again. Bob, uh, simply, what's the current mood like in Knoxville after that shocking, stunning Tennessee loss to Georgia State last week? Uh, Shell-shocked. They, I don't think most people can still believe that it happened. And uh, it was just uh, uh, alarming, I guess is another good word, just on what lack of uh, urgency Tennessee had in the game. And they, uh, you know, it, it looked like that uh, they hadn't done much game planning for Georgia State, that maybe they were thinking about some other games in the future. And uh, they didn't make many adjustments and just didn't play with a lot of urgency. And I think you're right. This is the urgency bowl for both of these teams coming up. What's uh, what's the mood in terms of the next step? Because it could be a great or terrible thing from the BYU perspective coming in. Oh, perhaps this team isn't as good as we were expecting. Yet, uh, I'd imagine that Tennessee would be even more focused and motivated going into this game now. Well, you hope that Tennessee learns a lesson and that they got to be ready to play and that uh, they understand that uh, you just can't uh, put your helmets on and show up and, and win and you know, it, it, but when you're a, what, 25 or 28-point favorite and all those type things, uh, you know, maybe sometimes the motivation is kind of hard. I don't know. There's, that's, when you only play 12 games a season, that's kind of hard to understand and accept. But uh, I, I think Tennessee will play better. I think they'll play harder. I think, uh, you know, a night game in Neyland Stadium is always special. People really like those games around here, and it is kind of an electric atmosphere and uh, so I think they'll be motivated. I think they'll play. I think they're just all embarrassed by what happened. And, uh, you know, Tim Priest and I, we were calling the game. And, you know, midway in the third quarter, uh, Tennessee's not playing very well. You, you just expect that, okay, they haven't played well. And, you know, maybe they've overlooked this team. But they'll flip the switch here and figure out a way to win this game. Well, they could never flip the switch. And uh, so I, I would think they'd come out with uh, more motivated and and um, I would think they would play hard Saturday night against BYU. Bob Kessling, return visitor to BYU Sports Nation, voice of the volunteers with us live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Bob, we're only one game in, but because of what happened, have the volunteers reached desperation level for a win this week against BYU? Well, I think the fans have. You know, I'm not sure the players. You know how coaches and players are. <laughs> well, it's one game. You know, we'll, we'll be better next week. And, you know, you don't let uh, one loss turn into two or three losses and those type things. Now, the fans, um, they were distraught, I think, at what they saw and the, the, the effort and the misalignments. And, the, you know, one time Tennessee had a chance to, to uh, 
get off the field on a third down play and uh, they got caught with too many men on the field and the guy that was trying to get off the field was just kind of jogging and a lot of people didn't like that they were a bunch of misalignments uh they tried to play a lot of folks they they played i guess nine offensive linemen and they were rotating those guys in a couple of guys played two or three positions during the game well not three but two at least guard and center brandon kennedy was the center the whole time but in the defensive line they played probably 10 or 11 guys and they were rotating them in and and so sometimes it looked like a fire drill out there a little bit, running guys in and off, and mm. and, uh, that, and that led to some some of the misalignments, and and uh, they just looked like a confused football team. And I think even the coaching staff admitted that after the game that they just uh, um, sometimes when you get those misalignments or the wrong packages on the field, and um, it, it was just hard. Now, with all that being said, give Georgia State some credit. Their quarterback, Dan Ellington, was a uh, a uh, uh, junior college transfer, senior. Uh, he was a terrific quarterback in that game. He made all kinds of calls and got him out of bad plays. And you could t- he was running the option, and Tennessee didn't look uh, at all prepared to stop the option. But you could tell that he was getting the line of scrimmage and seeing where Tennessee was lined up. And then maybe if they had the play call to the right, then he would switch it and go to the left. And uh, Tennessee never figured that out. And he's you know he's not a great thrower, but he made a couple of terrific throws. One on a touchdown to McCoy. So you know you got to give Georgia State some credit. They came in, uh, and I don't know if your if your listeners know what happened in the game, but second play of the game, Tennessee's backed up, uh, opening possession, and they throw a swing pass to Ty Chandler. Well, it was ruled a backwards pass. He fumbled it, didn't catch it, and Georgia State recovered at the twenty-three yard line. And about four or five plays later, they just march it right down the field and score to take a seven to nothing lead. Well, that drive and that turn of events gave Georgia State all kinds of uh, confidence that they could play with Tennessee. And uh, so it was 17-14 Tennessee at halftime. And then in the uh, third quarter, Georgia State takes the opening kickoff, and they just march it right down the field. And, I mean, they're going in big chunks right down the field and score. And then Tennessee knows it's in a ball game, and Georgia State knew they were in a ball game too. So uh, that uh, give them credit. They outplay Tennessee, and they, they – uh, out hit Tennessee and they out tackled Tennessee and they did a lot of things in that game to win it and uh, it was no fluke and now Tennessee's got to come along and and they've just got to get better this week. Bob Kessling calling it how it is. Hey, we look forward to that night atmosphere at Neyland Stadium this weekend. We appreciate the time and your busy schedule and uh, we'll see you in Knoxville. Yeah, it'll be great, guys. It'll be a, it'll be a fun night Saturday night and uh, and I think the folks uh, from. Um, out there in Provo when they come to, to Tennessee, I think they'll enjoy the atmosphere and just the night game in Neyland Stadium. But appreciate the call. You got it. Thanks, Bob. Okay, take care. Tennessee play-by-play man Bob Kessling on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why. We show how. BYU Sports Nation asks, do you know the foe? We'll find out. Know the foe is presented by Bodyguards, protection for life worth living. Learn more at bodyguards.com. Ben Bagley, our producer and the voice, as some call you, is in the control room. What's up, Ben? The voice. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, by the way, to answer your question from earlier, Jeremy, I will be watching the broadcast today, tomorrow, tonight on BYU TV. Jason, I'll listen to you at halftime. 
<laughs> we have a great Jen Rockwood that's, story that's at fair. halftime if you want to watch that. It's too. fair. Yeah. Oh, okay. You're out, yeah. Jason. Sorry. <laughs> I got your post game, though. Okay, All right. Yes. Let's start here. Warm you guys up with a couple true or false questions. Jason, go. you get to go first. Okay. Here we go. True or false? The University of Tennessee has been in existence longer than the actual state of Tennessee. Oh, uh, I will say false. It's absolutely true. Wow. I don't even University know how that's of Tennessee possible. established in 1794, two years prior to statehood. So how did they even get the name to Tennessee then? Wow. It was a territory. Come on. Everybody knows that, right? The river, right? Sure. All right, Jeremy, you can take an early lead here. True or false, the Volunteers have more national championships in women's basketball than the rest of the other sports combined. Ooh. Uh, true? No, that's false. They do have eight national championships in women's basketball, 15 in the other sports, including six in football. I would have have said true as well. Yeah. All right. Seeing you failed at the first two true or false, you need another couple of softballs here. 50-50 chance, guys. You got this. Jason, true or false, Davy Crockett was actually born on the mountaintops of Tennessee. Uh, I'm going to say true. Nope. The, the song lied, and I'm guessing he didn't kill a bear at three either. No, he was actually hey. born on the banks of the Limestone Creek. It's false because there are no mountains in Tennessee. Those are hills. Yes, yeah, true. And uh, Davy Crockett sorry. was fictional. I'm going to offend everybody in Tennessee. Okay. Sorry. These are mountains over here. Yes, yeah. true. Absolutely. Uh, second chance for you, Jeremy. Take a lead. Tennessee is the birthplace of not only country music, but also mini golf. True. Yes, indeed. Guessing is cool. The first mini golf course built in Tennessee. Very nice. We didn't see any in uh, Nashville when we went this summer. No, we did not. <laughs> we were driving too Apparently fast never by them on the uh, scooters. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, Jason, time to play catch up. You got tied which, up. Which of the following is not a native Tennessean? Justin Timberlake, okay. Megan Fox, mm-hmm. Charlie Daniels, mm-hmm. or your grandma, Sybil, Sybil Shepherd. <laughs> okay, I know Justin Timberlake is from Memphis. I'm pretty sure Sybil Shepherd is from from Tennessee. I'm going to say that it is the man named after Charlie Daniels Park, Charlie Daniels. Yeah, not from Tennessee. He's yes. actually from North Carolina. Yes, it's from my but he's from. but he's got a park in Tennessee. Yeah, so we, were we, we were there. We were there for the fan That's fest. Why I looked it up. All right, Jeremy, which one of the following VPs, vice presidents, is a volunteer? (laughs) Is it Al Gore, inventor of the Internet, Dick Cheney, or Joe Biden? Oh, it's uh, Dick Cheney. (laughs) No, nope, sorry, it's Al Gore. He's a volunteer. Wow. Yes, he is. Hey, we're tied at one going into the two final questions. Here we go. Here we go, Jason. Going sports media, so this should be right right up your alley here. Okay, let's bring it. Which sports media personality is not a volunteer? Is it Paul Feinbaum? Is it Woody Page? Or is it Bob Lee? I will say it is Bob Lee. Correct. Yes. None yes, of them, Bob. Page, they all got volunteer. paid. <laughs> Paul Feinbaum, a volunteer. There you go. Yes. All right, Jerem, to tie or to win? I thought he went to Alabama the way he talked about them. <laughs> Honestly, so did I. Yeah. That's why Alabama fans like him so yeah. much. Race yeah. All right, here you go, Jerem, to tie or to win, to lose. You choose. Uh, how choose many volunteers are there in the Pro Football Hall of Fame? Is it 14, 
Oh, boy. Is it 19? Wait, I don't get a tr- uh, It's a multiple choice. You I got, got a multiple four- choice. Okay, that's fair. That's okay, fair. so is it 14? Is it 9? Or is it 2? Oh, it's clearly 9. Oh, yeah. It's 2. That's it. Doug Atkins and Reggie White, although Peyton Manning will be soon, so the number will go to 3. Yeah, pay, yeah. Uh, it, it Peyton hasn't been, Manning's borderline. It, has, it hasn't been what five years, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So, so, Jason, you are today's winner. No, congratulations. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. We out this morning, so flexed. Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> that wraps up the best of BYU Sports Nation this week. Tune in next Saturday for the Cougar news you need to hear, and catch the BYU Sports Nation simulcast every day at noon Eastern, nine Pacific, on BYU TV and BYU Radio. 